set down your sleepy water and your Mr. Whistle and crack it cold. It's time to have a real talk about pediatric dentistry. This is Bruise and Tiny Teeth. Hey guys, I just got back from Bourbon and Baby Teeth in Louisville, Kentucky. Had a fantastic weekend. Was just going to give an update that the next three episodes are going to be podcasts that I did live at the event. So I've got a really cool string of guests. The first one we're going to touch base with is Richard Baxter. Now, he was a speaker at the event. He is the go-to guy. He's the man when it comes to tongue ties, tethered oral tissues. Um, he legitimately wrote a book on it and uh, has some, you know, just a wealth of knowledge on tongue ties. So we got in a quick discussion and I picked his brain on a few thoughts there, um, but really good episode. I'll put some information, uh, you know, more information for him in the comment section and in the info section uh, for the podcast description. Uh, but go ahead, crack a little whiskey, sit back and enjoy the next three episodes from Bourbon and Baby Teeth. Richard, we're li- I would cheers you with coffee since we're not doing... <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you don't have the bourbon in it. This Did I, you partake in the bourbon last night? I did try some bourbon. Did you? Yes, are you a bourbon drinker? Like Not really. See, I'm dabbling, so I'm kind of with you there. I, I, was, uh, I was just learning. It was good, though. Um, I tried several different kinds. Yeah, people listening, are, it's like a disclaimer that I keep telling you. I'm kind of the shell of a human being this morning based on how late I stayed up. Because um, So we're at Bourbon and Baby Teeth. 2021 here and just had the black tie event last night and all of a sudden it's like it goes from nine o'clock to two o'clock in the morning and you're hanging out in you know mike and evan and those guys in their room with like the billiard pool and the punching bags there's like 12 different bottles of bourbon on the counter and stuff and uh, i look down and I'm like oh my god it's 2 30 like i've got podcasts to do like i've already lost my voice so I'm going to try and, yeah. try and keep this as sharp as I can. You got up nice. You got up at, were you up at like working out at 530 this morning? Yeah, I was working out this morning, uh, running. There's a couple people in the gym there. Yeah. Are you like, like traditionally a pretty early morning workout type guy? I do. I do. Uh, so we have three kids. They wake mm-hmm. up early. My wife gets up early. I got to get my workout. She gets her workout before I'm off to the office. So yeah. Good for we you. We do the Peloton. Oh, do you? Um, okay. So I don't actually have the Peloton Peloton. We have some used uh, workout equipment we've had for a while. So spin bike and treadmill and stuff. Gotcha. Let's do the digital. It's it's the best $12 I spend. Is it? Honestly, it's really good. Well, I commend you that you can get up and do it. I, I've never been a great morning workout guy. I, I kind of have like a peak window, like noon to five or six, but usually after work, like the work day, I'm exhausted. So I tend to get a pretty good workout in over lunch a lot of days. But when I'm on like, you know, CE events and hotels and stuff, mm-hmm. like, like it's pretty cool that you're able to pull that together because I uh, was I just not couldn't sleep crowd. anymore. Yeah, honestly, <laughs> just yo, five o'clock. You're on dad like, time still, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm always up early, so that's how we get the book written. Is like four in the morning, honestly. That's like my creative time. It's mm-hmm. like four to six is the best time. Well, let's just preface that. So I, the first time I kind of heard about you, and I don't think I told you this, was uh, AAPD in Chicago, and I was looking at um, light, the light scalpel CO2 yeah. laser and thought it was a really cool laser and was playing with it, and the guy who was kind of the vendor, the rep there, had a stack of books, and he's like, hey, Richard Baxter wrote this book, like he's our our, um, our laser and stuff, like you should check it out. So they gave me a copy, and, um, and I read through it and kind of had dabbled in tongue ties at that time, but I was just really impressed by like the level of depth that you put into the book. And I was like, oh, if I ever meet Richard, I need to like go say <laughs> hi. But I, you did a really nice job on that Thank book. You. That was cool. So that Thank was, you. you did, tell me about like, I don't know, I have so many questions. So start by telling me about the book a little bit. And like, yeah. and then I also want to get 
kind of into your backstory about what your tongue tie practice looks like. But start with the yeah. book. Tell me more about how so you got the book together. We started doing uh, basically tongue ties about 2015. And so many parents were saying, like, how is my pediatrician, my speech therapist, my fill in the blank, my dentist not ever heard about this before? How have I never heard about this before? I said, that's a really good question. So I started writing a blog post, started getting a long blog post, started thinking, okay, chapter one, chapter two. And uh, anyway, so I switched it to Ever- from Evernote to Google Docs and mm-hmm. just started doing it, got some people involved. Uh, so we have a team approach really to promote that. Because it's not just go out there and laser and then like, that's it. Like it's right. working with speech therapists, myofunctional ther- therapists, lactation consultants, chiropractors. Um, all those people are represented in the book, pediatricians as well. And so, yeah, it was a year-long project. A uh, year-long. It's, it's yeah. funny. They, there's a website called Book Baby. Uh, it helps people get started, and I, I didn't actually use them, but it's funny, the concept, like, gestational period of this. It was a year-long gestation. So that was baby number three was the book. And then <laughs> Molly, our real baby number three, came in 2019. But, yeah, the book was published in July of uh, 2018. 2018. And uh, sold a bunch of copies, and uh, we have it translated in French. It's in Spanish. Uh, we have uh, Polish and Danish on the way. And then they're just starting with Chinese. So that's super cool. I, I I'm glad you brought up. I thought one of the valuable things about the book was the way that you you know anybody can just go on and you know throw words on page and do that for chapters and chapters. But it's really cool that you had like inserts and um, you know content from from the team that were promoting like making it a multidisciplinary approach yeah. sort of yeah. right. So having all those different perspectives was kind of cool. I thought, but. Um, if you don't mind me, how how old are how old are you? I'm just curious how old you were when yeah, you wrote the book. I'm 35. 35. Now. Okay. So so, so you were probably 32. what 32 when you yeah yeah I know now I'm thinking like man I've never written a book and I'm about that old <laughs> so maybe if, I need to if my English teacher knew I wrote a book she would die would she be floored oh I, I'm not a writer like I did science <laughs> and stuff you know right right um so anyway but I was just putting the ideas down my wife is a really good editor so she edited it. Uh, one of our associates, Taylor, was editing it as well. She has a blog, The Mama Dentist. or yeah, something. Yeah. Um, She's on TikTok or something like that. <laughs> anyway, uh, Taylor, if you're listening, uh, it's a great job. And then we had hired a couple of professional editors too. So gotcha. we just want to make it as easy for parents but also providers to read. Because like, I don't want to sit down and read something that's really hard to get through. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's we're trying to make it for yeah pediatricians. So we give out copies every day to People say, "Hey, take this back to your pediatrician. Take this back to your dentist, your therapist, whoever. Mm-hmm. Try to promote it." And so, well, let's go. Let's go back a little bit, because yeah. um, I'm kind of familiar with your practice and stuff. But I'd like to dive in more and get people caught up that are maybe listening that aren't familiar sure. with with you, because you're a speaker at the event and kind of your your niche in the pediatric dental world. If I I'm kind of making the assumption, but like <laughs> you're kind of the tongue tie guy, and so um, you know. Tell me, you know, we know your, your kiddos had some tongue ties and stuff, but give me the backstory of your kiddos being tongue tied, you kind of diving into it, and then like what component, uh, you know, is the laser component, the tongue tie yeah. component of your practice currently? Because I know that you kind of have like a dual practice entity or something. Yeah, like, yeah. That's I just want to, I want to learn more about it. So start me back over. Yeah. So uh, backing up a lot. Uh, so I had issues growing up with like speech and like, uh, anyway, uh, I didn't know I was tongue tied. My mom was a physician, we had no clue. Uh, fast forward to dental school. We had one slide of one lecture on, uh, and it was an oral surgery lecture. They're showing cleft palate surgeries, then they show Z plasty technique right. <laughs> for a tongue tie. It's like, don't try this at home, folks. This is really complicated. There's lots of vessels in the floor of the mouth. If you try this, you're going to kill someone. Basically, mm-hmm. they're going to bleed out. And so that's okay. I won't do that. You know, point taken. And then got to residency. We had one article. This from 2005. Now this is probably 2013. We're reading this article in our perio class at Ohio State. And 
it was one article and it said maybe interferes with speech, maybe interferes with breastfeeding. If they can stick their you know, tongue past the wet dry line, that's probably what most people have heard. But there's all these myths surrounding like, oh, they'll stretch out, they don't cause problems, the child will fall and rip their lip tie. All these things that are just kind of passed down as dogma, but like, oh, don't do the lip tie before braces or else the, the gap won't close, the diastema won't close. Yep. Because uh, so, scar tissue, but if you actually look into it, that's it's not true. Anyway, uh, so fast forward, our girls are born. I was finishing residency, and uh, the lactation consultant said they can't nurse because they have a tongue tie. I said, no, they don't. Like, I would know, right? I'm a pediatric dentist, and, or I was like two weeks away from being a pediatric dentist, and I didn't know what I didn't know. And so there's a quote in the book by Rajiv. He's a Agar, uh, Rajiv Agarwal. He's a pediatrician in Arizona. He said, your eyes can only uh, know what your, sorry, your, uh, your mind only knows what your eyes see, or sorry. I don't know. Anyway. Uh, yeah, I, I get the gist. Yeah, yeah. Your eyes can only see what your mind knows. Yeah. But once you've seen it, you can't unsee it. And that's the thing. Like, once you've seen it, like, once you're like, oh, my gosh. Like, so many of these kids have, and I don't like the term tongue tie as much as, like, that's the colloquial term, but, like, an oral restriction. Like, the tongue is restricted. When you say tongue tie, people think it has to be to the tip. Mm-hmm. It could be 90%. It could be 50%. It could be even 10 or 20%. But depending on the symptoms that child has, that's the key. So I was saying yesterday in the lecture, like, symptoms and function are more important than the appearance. Mm-hmm. And so we see some kids have every check mark, but you look and there's nothing there. What do you do? Hey, mom, this will likely help. We never guarantee it. If I guaranteed it, then it definitely won't work. Uh, so then we uh, do it, and then they come back the next week, like, oh, my gosh, he's talking better, eating better, sleeping better, like, put, you know, fill in the blank. Um, it's not every patient has all those things. It's often some combination, but we don't know what we're going to get till afterward. So, yeah, we started treating them. Uh, and my first one just under GA, like with the electrosurge, uh, which is okay. It, it works. Uh, so that's a good way to get started. Or uh, I was telling the lecture yesterday, like a lip tie on a kid. Uh, so we started doing them early 2015. Uh, got the diode laser. We did that about 18 months. We switched over to the CO2 light scalpel. We saw less post-op pain, much quicker surgery time. Um, so basically a diode laser for a lip tie is about a minute. The tongue is about 45 seconds or so with the diode laser. And on a crying baby, that feels like a long, a long time. time. So we enjoyed yep. helping the babies and helping the mamas, but uh, the procedure is like, this sucks. This is not fun at all. Uh, once we searched the CO2, it's like, okay, now the procedure is not bad. Like it's 10 seconds for the lip, 15 seconds for the lip, and about five seconds for the tongue. So much, much quicker. Um, and we saw less post-op pain. So they'll give them some Tylenol afterward with the diode laser. They, they still would not want to nurse. They're just, I was getting phone calls all the time like, my baby's not eating even with the pain meds. What am I supposed to do? With the CO2, that they stopped, basically. Sure. I still sure. call to check on everyone at night, but if they give them the right dosage of the Tylenol, they, usually yeah, do they okay. can eat well. Yeah, well, I know that um, you mentioned it in your book, too, but um, it was cool seeing your perspective on kind of the three major ways, you know, doing scissors and scalpels and sutures, maybe an electrosurge route, or kind of going one of the the laser routes um and i've i've done all three but i haven't done a lot of like co2 work just because mm-hmm. i haven't worked in a practice that has a co2 yeah. laser and i haven't made the investment in my own practice um it's an but investment but it is an it investment was worth it. yeah it paid for itself in one month see that's what i wanted i was going to so. ask too like you know talking dollars and cents like how do you convince a pediatric dentist like me that is you know let's say that you start up yeah startup right like you're keeping your costs in line and maybe um if the demand isn't super high and you're going to obviously create the demand as you start doing it in word of mouth once you realize yeah how, how many there are and even in your own practice so we did a, a study it was our survey basically it was 314 kids and just on hygiene so not coming to us for tongue ties we checked them for all the common symptoms of tongue tie and then see how high they can lift their tongue up 
And it was 26% of the kids. The parents were like, yeah, I want to get back for like a referral to the tongue tie center to like go more in depth. Not meaning all of them had tongue ties, but this looks suspicious. We should check it out mm. further um, and do like a deeper dive assessment. So yeah, we started with the diode laser because it's $3,000. Right. Um, you have to pay per tip. So actually the cost adds up like toner cartridges or ink cartridges in a printer kind of thing. Um, so that the initial investment can end up being dwarfed by the cost of like the replaceable tips. Uh, so took took the dive to get the CO2. And for me, it was like, I'm not going to make any more money doing this because it's you get paid the same no matter what tool. You can mm-hmm. use scissors for, you know, $20 scissors from Amazon or something. Right, right. Um, but it was it was much more like about like the quality of the procedure and stuff. So 2016, we got the CO2 laser. And uh, yeah, never looked back. People are like, oh, you're doing procedures just to pay for your laser payments. Like, no, like they don't say like, oh, you're just making your building payment, you know, mm-hmm. or your practice loan by seeing patients like, no. Well, let me ask so you. I that. paid for it with dental money. Sure. And I paid cash for it. So I never had any loan A loan yet to pay off. Right. But, yeah. Paying off the yacht joke. But so like if I'm going to play a little bit of a devil's advocate, like I, you definitely, it seems like there's a, I don't know, like a, it seems like there's a trend where you do see pediatric dentists. Like do you see, let me ask you, do you see pediatric dentists that maybe abuse it too much that every kid that walks in gets a tongue or lip tie. Like, and you said yeah, about what, 26% of your patients that are maybe like, you, eh, you, there's something there. But yeah. what's crazy was it was kids that I wouldn't have even asked about. Like if I didn't know they had the symptoms, I would not have even asked them if their tongue was tight or not. Mm-hmm. So if I see one that's pretty obvious, like the three easy questions, like, Hey mom, any issues with speech, feeding or sleep? Sometimes you can tell if they want to talk about it or not. They're like, Oh no, he's fine. It's like, okay, well just whatever. Mm-hmm. No cavities. Great. Here's your fluoride. Good mm-hmm. to see you. See you in six months. But uh, what sometimes like, well, yeah, he does have some issues like, okay, so sleep would be like restless sleeping, snoring, grinding teeth, like waking up tired, even ADD stuff can be misdiagnosed because they're just sleep deprived. Uh, speech stuff would be trouble with R's, L's, even a speech delay when they're little. Uh, so with feeding would be slow eating, real picky eating, trouble with meats, spitting out foods, packing it in their cheeks like a chipmunk. Some people listening now are like, oh my gosh, like that's my kid. Mm-hmm. It's, it's super common. But they think like, oh, Johnny's just picky. You know, he's just a picky eater. He's just a slow eater. It's just behavioral. But a lot of these things, uh, especially like the airway stuff when they're sleeping, if they're sleeping with a bum up in the air, trying to get their tongue out of the throat, uh, they're real restless because they're trying to get oxygen at night. They're ex- hyperextending their neck because they're trying to, you know, CPR mm-hmm. position. So it is crazy how I mean, these little things, little clues add up. And if they have a lot of those, you check their tongue. If it's, if it feels tight, it's not just the look, it's the feel of it. Um, and there's obviously lots of training and stuff goes into it. Then yeah, it's likely worth a try. Yeah, I think in the past, like, well, we got to put him to sleep. Like, I wouldn't put a kid to sleep to do like a, a posterior tongue tie. I mean, it's not obvious. There's nothing there, so we're not putting them to sleep. We're not sedating them. No nitrous even. Mm-hmm. But we use nitrous all the time for operative and stuff. But for this, we use a compounded topical. It's literally ten seconds. Uh, we've not put a kid to sleep to give him a flu shot. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, back to your point about the oh, do you just laser everything? So. We had like a EN, or sorry, an oral surgeon in, in Alabama who said like, oh, Richard, their ENTs are saying you're doing a lot of tongue ties. I Thankfully, I came up with this response pretty quick. I was like, do endodontists do a lot of root canals? I mean, like they're That's coming to me yeah. for that. Most of our patients come from two to four hours away. Wow. Uh, kind of like you said, your rural practice. Like most people come to us from two to four hours away. They heard about us, but we've had people from other countries and stuff come see us. And they're coming for that reason. So it's a self-selecting group. They wouldn't come see me. No one wants to put their kid through this procedure. It's not like a fun thing. Mm-hmm. And the stretches is the worst part because, you know, for three weeks, a couple times a day, you got to get in there and lift the tongue up, right. lift the lip up so it doesn't stick back together. But 
anyway, yeah, it's uh, it's hard. Okay, so um, don't let me forget. I want to kind of get the walkthrough of what your you know your series the of practice. Uh, um, the practice, and then I also. Um, uh, I want to ask, like, walk me through from beginning to end the stepwise procedure, like how the procedure actually goes, like, yeah. you know, separating parent, <clears throat> like just the series of events you do. But before I forget, um, what, what do you give people like a scope of what a light scalpel or a good CO2, CO2 laser kind of a price range? Is it like, I can't remember, is it the 20, 20 to $40,000 range? Does that sound, is that the yeah, right ballpark? Yeah, yeah. So um, I got mine you know, several years ago. The price goes up like everything now. Yeah, for um, sure. Right. So there's a couple, there's two main types. There's Solea, which is the 9300 nanometer. It's a hard tissue and a soft tissue, right? So if you want to do cavity preps with it, it's a larger machine that's about 200 pounds, I think. Mm-hmm. So you can't like move it from op to op pretty easily. Um, versus lights and it has a articulated arm so it's a series of mirrors that hits the beam and then you're about an inch or two away doing it, it has an aiming beam the co2 uh, the light scalpel it's 10,600 nanometers so it's a different wavelength um, but anyway it has a hollow waveguide so basically it's real flexible fiber and the handpiece is smaller it's easier to maneuver it only does soft tissue though right and so if you're just doing like phrenectomies, gingivectomies, we'll do mucosils, we do all kinds of stuff like that. Operculectomies. Operculum, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. sometimes you see that and it's like, oh, what do you do with these? I sliced one off with a burr yesterday it's, under GA. I was yeah. like, I'm not, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's so like, easy. It's bloodless. <laughs> like we have a kid coming, a two-year-old for a mucosil. Like it just, you take it off. It's not yeah. a big deal. So if you're just looking at doing that, I think the light scalpel is a good way to go. I don't get paid by light scalpel. I'm not like, you know. Uh, good yeah, disclaimer there. All that yep, stuff. Yep. Yeah, I'm, I'm not paid by anything. <laughs> Uh, we've received royalties from the book, from our courses, uh, but we donate all that to charity, actually. Oh, that's awesome. So okay. anyway, but yeah, the light scalpel, it works really well. Um, I think it's like 35-ish. I'm not sure exactly. Yeah. 35 yeah. to 40. And then uh, Solea is 150-ish. Like yeah. 175 might be the list, and then like around 150 is the actual price you that's pay. That's crazy, yeah. So it's a lot more. That's a tougher nut to crack. And you have a, do you do hard tissue stuff I don't do that. Okay. No, I don't have a Solea. Okay. No, Give me a 330. You still have to use a handpiece. Right, right. When so you're doing yeah. the t- like stuff, you use a handpiece. You still have to use like a football bird to polish it. Um, I work out of several ops when I'm doing dentistry. And so like to move that beast back and forth would not be conducive Super for practical. Or the yeah. way we do. Uh, and then you can say you do it without numbing. But we have our hygienists give anesthesia and or, or I'll do it and then go check people. I'm not just sitting around twiddling my thumbs right. in a busy pedo office. So uh, yeah, basically my normal schedule now is I'll do a sedation in the morning and then I'll do 10 to 12 tongue ties a day. That's so crazy. You do 10 to 12 tongue yeah. ties a day. And did you say you have a separate... Practice. That's the tongue tie center. Okay. Yeah, Alabama tongue tie center. Tongue tie al.com. How many days are you in that practice? One or two days a I week? I do Monday. I do Monday, Thursday, Friday. I do tongue ties. Wow. So one sedation in the morning. And it's, it's in the same building. It's two separate practices, basically. Mm-hmm. They're totally separate. Uh, everything's separate. Share Wi Fi, I guess. <laughs> share <laughs> That's share <about> utilities. <laughs> um, but anyway, and the reason we did that was we, we needed to add on because I was not planning to do tongue ties, but the Lord had different plans for us. So basically, I was planning to do bread and butter. We had just started up uh, this August of 14 was our first. And then so January of 15, I did my first uh, lip, uh, lip tie, tongue tie. And then, uh, yeah, we just people, word of mouth, as you said, we were the only people really doing it in, in the southeast there. And so we had people start traveling from long distances and word spreads. And the mommy groups on Facebook, that's mm-hmm. a big part of it. Dr. Google, you know, people Google, what's wrong with my child? Why can't they nurse? Why can't they eat? And so... That's how it kind of grew organically. 12, that's like blowing my mind. That's so many. Do- I mean, granted, it's 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 quick, but it's just like it's very impressive that you have the internal referral, internal word of mouth. Yeah, we I don't mean, market. I'm assuming is like, like a huge part of it, you know, because these are the type of moms that all talk to each yeah, other. Yeah, our marketing was like hundred dollars last month for yeah. Google AdWords. Maybe like yep. it's, we don't like have to market it. 
um, which is nice. But and we don't do it for the money, certainly. Like the dentistry is more productive than tongue ties. Sure. Because we're walking off. They're in the office about an hour and a half. Uh, if this is a baby, so we're talking to them for 30 minutes, sometimes 40 minutes, just depends. Um, and then we're doing the procedure. Then we'll put a video on. And you said walk you through the steps. Basically, they'll come in. Uh, yeah, consultation. Uh, they'll do watch a quick video about 10 minutes, and then I'll come back answer any more questions. And we always pray with the patients before we do it actually, and then I'll take them back. So if they're under 12 months, we'll separate them from the mom. We try to do whatever makes them cry least. Mm-hmm. So if they're like a you know 11 month old but having a lot of stranger anxiety or something. Hey, mom, you can come back with us if you want. There's nothing to hide. Some people, uh, it's like a one-month-old mom really wants dad to come back because they don't want to let the baby leave their sight. That's fine. They can do that too. But for basically over 12 months, we encourage the parents to come back. So they help hold the hands, and then assistant holds the head, and then we do the procedure, and then, yeah, they're good to go. They get a popsicle and go play on the playground. Okay, so this is, um, let's dive into this a little bit more because I've been surprised at the number of requests I get for tongue and lip ties from parents, um, and this is, as you yeah. know, my practice in location is not the the most well-informed parents that are like the Google scholars. They tend to yeah. just be Joe Schmoes and somebody will, you know, they'll come in, oh, my kid, I think he has a tongue tire. You know, they just, they don't know a lot yeah. about it, but they bring it up, right? Yeah. But it seems like 90% of the kids I get are, you know, three to five years old and that kind of anxious, wiggly, tougher to do. So I give them a bit of a spiel where it's like, you know, occasionally I get them in that young, like infant age, I'll get mm-hmm. a referral and I do a handful of those with my electrosurge. Like I you know I kind of mentioned, um, cause I haven't made a CO2 jump or anything, but, yeah. um, but it, to me, it gets so much more challenging when a kid's older than, you know, say, say 18 months, two years old, because it they is. get bigger. And so, it's a magic so time, I, though. I, I tell, I know. And so I tell parents, I'm like, well, you know, let's keep an eye on things, which is not ideal. And then I end up kind of readdressing things when we get a little bit older and bigger. So I tend to do more of them when we get into that, you know, um, you know, nine or 10, if, you know, the whole going back to like cooperation's better, or if like we still have a diastema and a thick ropey yeah. upper lip tie, we'll do a few of them then. But the, it's like the age when I feel like if you have a screaming obvious kiddo that really needs it, it's the hardest to do. So walk me yeah. through, say you've got like a three-year-old comes into your office who's kind of anxious, wound up kid, yeah. a lot of movement, you know, a typical three-year-old. Yeah. How does how do you procedurally go about that? Well, pediatric dentists are the best situated to do this procedure, honestly. So like a periodontist or oral surgeon, like we we do facial composites on three-year-olds all the time. Mm-hmm. We'll take out ENF if we have to. Like it's, it's real similar to that. So basically, uh, we'll apply some strong like, compounded numbing jelly, so prilocaine, lidocaine, tetracaine, and uh, put it on there. Let it sit five, ten minutes, and then we'll uh, take the patient back. Again, parent holds the hands. We have the TVs in the ceiling. Uh, no nitrous, though, because like they're not going to breathe the nitrous, sure. obviously. Right. And then it's literally 15 seconds for the lip. If it's a tongue, about five or ten seconds. Mm-hmm. And so by the time they realize it's hurting, because I don't have any tattoos, but it's probably similar to a tattoo, meaning it's uncomfortable but not unbearable. Right. And so, yeah, we, we'll do it, and then we give them a popsicle, and then uh, we have a playground at our office, so they go play on that afterward. But uh, this, the crazy thing we see is that young, like, they just get it. Like, the tongue goes up on the palate where it's supposed to be. Like, they don't teach that in dental school. Like, your tongue mm-hmm. is supposed to be resting on your palate. <clears throat> so if you're listening and your tongue is down, you might have a tongue tie. <laughs> um, but anyway, you should be able to open all the way and lift your tongue up to the incisive papilla uh, with, you know, pretty easily. Mm-hmm. Um, but... That's the magic age because by the time they're three, the brain is already 80% the size of an adult brain. By the time they're five, it's 90% the size of an adult brain. So we got to get these kids early. And so a lot of people are like, oh, six months, that's my cutoff. I won't do it again until they're four. And so we had one family, they drove from Wisconsin 24 hours each way to come see us because no one would do their two-year-old without putting them to sleep. 
Wow. They really did not want to put them to sleep, which it's not needed to put them to sleep. Right. Now, if I have a kid asleep for, you know, dental rehab. Other reasons, yeah. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. I'll do the lip or tongue and I'll suture it. I'll mm. suture the tongue then. But because obviously we have a cooperation issue uh, with brushing the teeth or a parent issue there. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a, such a like ideal time to do it. So mm-hmm. typically the sooner the better. So baby is the easiest. Like less than one month old baby, that's perfect. We did Molly, our daughter. We got it right with her. On the way home from the hospital, we did it. Mm-hmm. And then she gained a pound a week for seven weeks. She got chunked up like Michelin man. Like, yeah, yeah. Like forearm that's rolls right and everything. Season. Here she was go. 24 pounds at six months. <laughs> I was like hurting our back here. It was, it was unbelievable. Um, anyway, uh, she's, she's thinned out now. She's two and a half. But um, yeah, it was great. But with uh, those, those kids, like, oh, the ENTs, unfortunately, will put them to sleep. They'll often clip it halfway, not to like bash ENTs for listening. Um, we've got lots of ENTs that are great that do tongue ties. So Dr. Gahari, uh, Dr. Zaghi. But basically, a typical ENT in our area or other areas, they'll clip it halfway. So mm-hmm. if you had like syndactyly, they'd cut part of it. I know you all can't see me listening, but uh, they don't get it all the way to the palm. And so the tongue, people don't realize how far back it goes. So it actually goes much further back. So most of the time if you hear it's been clipped or snipped, it hasn't been done fully. Uh, they won't give them exercises to do, and then they won't um, see them back for follow-up. And that's the key. If you don't see people back for follow-up, how do you know if it helped or not? Sure. So we try to get everyone back for follow-up, or at least get a follow-up form and see how they're doing, get pictures if they're four hours away or six hours away or something. Wow. Um, so it, it, I just wanted to touch back um, with the two-year-olds, you know, basically what you're saying is it's okay and you sort of prep mom that it could be a bit of a wiggly appointment yeah, or, you know, cry. encourage mom, you know, we might have a tear or two, yeah. you hold hands, I'm going to have my assistant, yada, yada, hold head over here yep. and it's just going to take me about, we'll count to 15. We'll put Coco Melon on the TV. Yeah, they're Disney, happy. Clubhouse and yep. let's go. Yeah. Yep. Okay. And maybe I need to just, uh. It's like they fell down and skinned their knee. Like they'll cry for a minute and then calm and, down. Yeah. And, then, and they honestly, I said, he'll probably act like nothing happened. Mm-hmm. When I call that night to check on him, I call every patient, check on him. Like he's running around playing, acting like nothing happened. Yeah. Like most yeah. of the time. It's not like getting tonsils out. That's way worse. For sure. My daughter had tonsils out three. It's like 10 days of miserableness. Right. There's like a day or two of Motrin, Tylenol, a popsicle, and they're mm-hmm. fine. Well, uh, so I know that I mentioned this to you, but I, I use a bipolar. I did quite a bit of homework into it, and I was between like torn between getting a diode laser versus trying to do something a little more outside the box and go like a bipolar uh-huh. electrosurge route. And I, I went the electrosurge route, um, <clears throat> good chunk because of cost, but I, I, I don't do a ton, a ton of tongue ties, but mm-hmm. I do, you know, maybe like one or two a month, probably two, eh, one, two, yeah. three a month, uh, yeah. but enough where I want to be able to offer that service to parents that really want it, but not enough to invest at least of now. Yeah. Um, the, you know, make the big jump in cost there. And the diode, it always seems like it's, you know, it's it, feel, it feels like it's, you take a hot paper similar. clip and you're just like trying to, It honestly know, is. So hard. the diode gets to a thousand, 700 to a thousand degrees Celsius. It's a hot tip. You have to char it first. Right. So you're not actually using it as a laser. You have to touch it on there. I showed some videos yesterday. I'm like, it, it's like, cut, cut. Mm-hmm. Like you're saying internally, like just cut. Mm-hmm. And it's like barely going. And there's different diodes. Like the X-Lace is $18,000. That cuts faster. Uh, but the typical run-the-mill diode, you know, it's three to five thousand dollars, maybe ten, and it's it's taking a minute per area. Versus the CO2, you're not touching the tissue. It heats the water molecules to 100 degrees Celsius, the boiling point of water, and it vaporizes. It mm-hmm. turns to steam, and so it's doing that on a microscopic level, you know, 29 times per second or whatever you said it, and it just disappears. Gotcha. And so it's it's a cleaner look, it's quicker, and for patient compliance and stuff. Again, it takes it from like this sucks to like, hey, this is this is in, not enjoyable, but like because the kid's still crying. Yeah. Like oh this isn't that bad. Right, right. Have you, um, when you, you've done a little bit of 
electrosurge mm -hmm. for it. Oh yeah, but the hospital, I don't have laser privileges at the hospital. Oh, okay. It's like a bunch of hoops to jump through. You have yeah. to have a laser safe ET tube. So, so I for, just use electrosurge there. Do you use bipolar or a mo like, do you use like a bipolar forceps or do you have a grounding pad? And like no, it has a grounding pad, it, monopolar. Yeah, monopolar. Uh, so yeah, and 12 to 15 cut insulated needle tip. Uh, you gotta make sure there's no metal obviously around. Right, you right. Could, we had one kid that the ENT did that like burnt, it, they touched the mouth prop with it and mm. like it burned their lip pretty bad. Ooh, okay. It's had a permanent scar on their lip. So you can't mess yeah, it up. Yeah, you gotta be careful, yeah. But yeah, we always take it down so through the mucosa, through the fascia. We don't take the genioglossus muscle, it's not cutting muscle. Um, and if you stay real midline, the vessels and nerves and stuff are off to the sides. So right. It's, it's honestly underneath, safe. you know, because sometimes you get like, you know, the ones that are, some of them are the real like thin <clears throat> mucosally, you know, it's like that translucent look and it yep. zips through pretty easily. Yep. And then some of them, the deeper ones, it's me talking. But you got to like, keep going though. Yeah, right. So, you know, that's where I feel like, you know, is what makes me... Maybe after you've done it a whole bunch of times and you get a little bit of a wiggly kiddo, but it's like, okay, I've got that tongue retracted. I think this is the area I want to be. But in my head, I know you think of your anatomy and your textbooks when yeah. they show the little cutout of the tongue. Like uh -huh. as long as you stay midline, you get don't get real low, like where you can see like, you know, different veins and like your sublingual gland and stuff yeah. down there. I think you're in the safe zone there. Yeah. If you want but, a diamond shape, but keep it pretty narrow. Mm -hmm. But again, like it depends how much tension you're putting on. So lots of tension is the key. I don't use the groove director, the little Mickey Mouse. Yeah. Thing uh, I, just, I used to a long time ago, but I just use my fingers and lifting up on it, and uh, so you can feel the tension. And then I'm constantly feeling it. Feels a little bit tight on the right. Get a little bit more on the right. Feel on the left. And with the CO2, it's like doing a dissection. With electrosurge too, it doesn't bleed a whole lot or diode. Uh, but if you were cutting it, you'd make one cut and it starts bleeding. You can't see anything. Mm -hmm. but you can literally see the individual like, strands of fascia, the connective tissue, and it just disappears. Uh, this is an issue that sometimes comes up because, like going back to what you said, sometimes it's not uncommon. Well, I'll tack these on during like general anesthesia cases yep. or like, you know, some of the kids that come in, a, a bigger part of what I do is like a all these D through G, like bombed out decays or conia, like a four packs or conia mm -hmm. crowns. And then you're talking to mom and you look when you're treatment planning and stuff prior to GA and they've got a pretty wicked upper lip tie and that's yeah. kind of contributing to some it of likely it. Is. And so, um, so then we say, well, if we're in there, that's going to be a great time to like, let's release that, make it yep. at least more cleansable. And I, yep. I seem to do more of that than I do almost tongue ties, but, uh, my Those are helpful. That's a good service. For sure. Yeah. They can smile better too. It's more cosmetic. For sure. It's like they come back like, I can see my kids smile now. Like right. It's, it's pretty cool. So what I run into though is I'm always having to make notes like if we're going to do that because there's like, I don't know why, but I have this somewhat irrational fear of like airway fires, even though I know oxygen itself isn't combustible. It's, it's a just, high fire <laughs> risk. Yeah. Right. So um, I have to tell the anesthesiologist because we do in-office GA ahead yeah. of time and they bring in a room air tank. Okay. Um, and so it's, it's a, they like will sub out the tank during the procedure, I guess, yeah. and change the, um, you know, change it out from like a high flow oxygen, mm. you know, in the circuit to Yeah. You like don't air. want that obviously. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so that it's not a big deal, but even like in clinic, like I get a little nervous about running oxygen, like nitrous oxide. I try not to use it yeah. if I'm doing, you don't have you know, to typically, yeah. Yeah. but if you, so. you can, if you have a scavenger system, which obviously you have to have a scavenger sure. with nitrous, then the standards say that as long as you have a scavenger system, then you're, you're safe you're to okay. do it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. So, um, yeah, you said you, uh, so when you go do your like general anesthesia cases, you're using, um, do you still do any, do you do any scissors and scalpels anymore? Or you pretty much no, either. No, especially if they're moving. So like if they're moving, like that's more dangerous actually than the laser. People are like, oh, laser. It's like mm -hmm. a lightsaber. Side note, actually bought a lightsaber because some kid came to our office and he was really, like, really excited to see the laser. 
And he was kind of let down. He's like, oh, that's it's not that cool. Right. So I bought like a real, as real as you can get, lightsaber. That's uh, pretty anyway. cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so now I can show them. But yeah, so when they're asleep, I, I don't use any scissor scalpel. The electrosearch works well because, again, you can see everything. The key is if you can't see it, you, can, you can't know if you got it all. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's that's really important to do. And then, again, I'll suture under the tongue. The lip, I'll just have them stretch it. So stretches for kids, like three weeks, basically, twice a day, about 10 seconds, just pushing right on it, gentle but firm pressure. But if you don't separate that out, it'd be like if you got your ear pierced but didn't wear the earring, mm-hmm. it'll just close right back up. Right, right. Uh, you know, I my experience, so I, going back, I've done a lot of, quite a bit of scalpels and sutures and scissors and everything else uh, with a few other practices I worked at Mm. and that's all they offered. And then like residency, like in our residency program, a good part of like, you know, I don't know if you'd agree. Did you do some residency? uh, Yeah, but it was like the extent of it was, you know, we get a call from like the NICU or from like, uh, you know, early moms and you go over and do like a little scissor clip and then move on. So it wasn't like, yeah, that kind of no stretches, no follow up. up. Yeah. So, um, and it's helpful. It's helpful. Like sometimes it'll help with nipple pain, but then they'll have the reflux, gassy, colicky, fussy, spitting up, like all the other stuff. Right. What I, uh, the first time I got a little nervous about one though, um, we did a kid when I was a second year resident and you know, I, it was like, three millimeters, but I was trying to get back just a little bit farther and maybe got to four and the kiddo started like bleeding a little bit. And this is a little tiny, fragile baby. Yeah. And, and you know, and I, I'm a pretty level headed guy, but I'm just like, Ooh, that's not good. So I'm holding gauze and it's still bleeding and holding gauze and eventually yep. it quit. And, but I'm just pants. like, yeah. I'm just like, oh, that wasn't as fun as I wanted it to be. So yeah. like, and so that kind of shied me away from doing too many, like, you know, of the scissor. Cause I, I never felt like I was getting deep enough, but then the one time I try and go deeper, this little tiny baby is just like keeps bleeding. Yes, but the scissors, you'd get that with the CO2. I mean, you have to check vitamin K status. Obviously, we had only one patient we've ever had like a bleeding issue with, and they had low platelets, but it was just like oozing several days later. Mm-hmm. And so you ended up going in the platelets were like 10,000. Okay. It was a freak thing. So, but uh, like intra op like procedures, we had like one or two patients that like I didn't learn the first time, I guess. It just, I went too wide. And then it's the deep lingual vein. There's an artery too. That'd be hard to hit the arteries further to the side but the deep lingual vein I mean, it'll make a mess and mm-hmm. you have to hold gauze about 10-15 minutes mm-hmm. without replacing just hold it there but it was like put a gauze in it's soaked put a gauze in it's soaked do you keep like, like silver saying. silver nitrate sticks or anything we don't have any silver nitrate yeah, we never had to use really it needed them. gauze pressure is really the best thing and then the best defense a good offense I guess like doing a high quality release staying midline mm-hmm. uh, we had one the other day that was like a good sized vessel right midline uh, so I kind of stopped went around it but again I could see it because I could like see the whole thing open up. You can see some of our videos on YouTube and stuff, but it just disappears. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can you can see everything. There's no bleeding typically. Gotcha. Um, I've done some a few uh, like one of the dentists I worked for when we were in the OR would he would do a lot of upper lip ties, but it was all like um, scalpels and sutures and that too. You know, and um, I bring it up. I've done quite a few of those as well, and yeah. I don't really miss doing it that way. But you know, was there a period of time that you've done that as well, like for upper lips, where you sort of you know, clamp the freedom and then you cut out your wedge of tissue and suture it all together. Yeah. Did you see I, good I never results? did that. Never had to do I that. I never did that, yeah. no. In the OR, I would just do the electrosurge. I start with the diode laser. But mm-hmm. I, I, you can, if you if you use a hemostat, that's what it's for, obviously. Right. Um, you can clamp it and cut it like that. It does bleed pretty good, though, from yeah. what I understand. Uh, and so if you do that, like on a baby for a new mom who's postpartum, emotional, hormones, all that stuff, if you do that, 
she's going to freak yeah, out. Yeah, mama bear's going to kick in yes. a little bit. Yeah. So we had one yeah. mom, even last week, that was like, I don't want to see it. I'm so scared. I was like, there's no bleeding. You want to see the pictures? You know, I always encourage them to take pictures. They can show their pediatrician, show grandma. Grandma always wants to see it. Mm-hmm. And she was like real skittish. She's like, I hate the dentist. Like, okay, that's fine. Sure. Um, but uh, she looked at, she, oh, that's not too bad. Mm-hmm. And so she looked at the sites immediately post op and was like, okay, that's that's fine because it wasn't bleeding. Yeah. So that's well, another visual like, aids are your order. friend too. Like, to oh your point, yeah. You know, I keep in. I've got a little tongue tied box with my little oh, cool. bipolar electrosurge kit and everything, but I laminated, you know, like a varying grades of tongue and lip ties and then what the before and after looks like because I feel like that goes yeah. a long way to show Oh, parents, you have you know? to. Yeah. You yeah. have to. Yeah. The craziest thing is like most 75% of the patients we see, it's not to the tip. Mm. It's halfway back. It's a posterior tongue tie. And so it's submucosal. You can feel it. It feels like a guitar string if you pass your finger back and forth under the tongue and the fore of the mouth. But what's really unfortunate is the ones that have terrible nursing pain, um, they can have bottle feeding issues and stuff. Dr. Gahari just had a randomized control trial come out uh, a couple weeks ago that's really good. You should download or look at. But uh, the ones that are really painful, like seven plus, like toe curling pain, almost always those are less obvious posterior ties mm-hmm. uh, that are not to the tip. And so they'll see the pediatrician and say there's nothing there. They'll see the lactation consultant and say there's nothing there. Hopefully they can see you now. You've been educated. These pediatrician is listening. It's like it could be a posterior or less obvious tie. Um, often they'll come to us for just the tongue. I'm sorry, just the lip tie because they see it. It's more obvious. They'll read on Facebook or something. Hey, my kid has a lip tie. Like, we'll look through the symptoms. Like, well, they're slow eating. They're uh, not efficiently eating. They have hiccups a lot, which is another interesting one we see. Mm -hmm. Like, hiccup, the baby hiccups all the time. They're spitting up all the time. Um, all those things. Those can be tongue tie issues, but they think it's just a lip tie. So we'll look in there. We'll do the tongue and lip, and then they come back a week later. Like, oh my gosh, it's it's so much better. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. um, so you know, as before we wrap up and go catch some of these speakers here, like, you know, we could sit here all day and keep on going. <laughs> Maybe um, another episode later. Yeah, yeah, no, we'll have to because, uh, and I kind of wanted to sort of wrap up with this, and um, this we could spend a whole episode talking about. But as far as you know, like research supporting all this, I know that there's still a lot of pediatric dentists that fall into that boat of yeah. You know, um, I think this is all just like, uh, you know, call it a money grab or call it like a a way for pediatric dentists that aren't busy to get busier by adding this, you know, um, like convince me or anybody listening that there's like hard science to support that this is an underdiagnosed problem. No, it's true. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, there's several randomized control trials on it. Uh, this mostly done with scissors, uh, most of them are probably incomplete releases, but there's several randomized control trials. There's Burke 2011, there's Barry 2012. Uh, so it's, it's just recently though. So mm-hmm. it takes about 30 years for stuff to change in the for medical sure. literature, dental literature. Um, Dr. Gahari had a, a prospective cohort study in 2016, had a one where they took the kids that were clipped already and redid theirs. They saw the identical results. They saw improvements in breastfeeding scores, uh, breastfeeding self-efficacy scores. Basically the moms felt more confident they could nurse better, less reflux, less nipple pain. So those are good ones. It's hard to do a randomized control trial in private practice because, again, they're coming to see you. It's like, hold on, we're going to flip a coin. Okay, sorry, we're not going to do yours today. You can come back in a week or two and we'll do it. Like, sure. that's really hard to do. And as far as pushing little babies off, not getting this procedure when it's been shown to benefit, no IRB will approve that now. Mm. You can't physically do it. It's not ethical. So, but he did get a randomized control trial with a bottle. So he said that was the biggest thing is like, where's the evidence? We need some objective data because like, hey, nipple pain, that's subjective. Although moms know if it's terrible pain and they come right. back a week later and it's a lot better. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so computerized nipple, uh, the baby's fed more efficiently. They fed uh, quicker. They've got more milk, all these things. Plus mom saw less pain, less reflux, all that stuff. So it was just published a few weeks ago. Okay. But it's a randomized control trial objective data with a computerized nipple in the bottle. And this is for bottle feeding babies and it was only posterior tongue ties. Okay. So ones that people say do not exist. 
showed lots of benefits. That was a huge paper for us. Um, and then we did a study in our office for kids because the only studies were like nine or ten patients, like Messner 2002, Wallachia 2003, some ENTs, I guess at Stanford or something, that did some. And it was just looking at articulation and a couple other things, but so, like how high could they lift? But they had no people like, hey, mom, we can give you 10 more millimeters of mobility. Well, what's that mean to me? I want my kid to talk better, to eat better, to sleep better. So we looked at all those things. It was a prospective cohort study. We got published in Clinical Pediatrics. It was a pretty good journal uh, in 2020. What we saw was speech improved in 89% of the kids. So not every kid, but 89%. Uh, solid feeding improved, which this is the first time that's been reported hardly. Uh, our, our first case series in 2018 we published, uh, that was the first article linking solid feeding and tongue tie, which like, makes sense. If you can't move your tongue, you're going to have trouble swallowing. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, and then speech, imp- speech was 89% improvement, solid feeding 83% improvement, and then sleep 83% improvement too. And so we saw less snoring, less gasping for air, like less uh, picky eating, improvements in speech delay. That was the first time that was published. Mm-hmm. And so it was a prospective cohort study, 37 patients, meaning whether we saw improvement or not, hey, mom, we're going to report the data out there. It's, it's not cherry picking cases. And that's a level two evidence. That's really the best you can kind of do in office. And yeah, then, like you said, uh, like uh, it makes sense that it's hard to get good objective data, especially data that's not maybe biased because so many of them are going to be, you know, mom scores like just information that, yeah. and you know, there's, you there's can, procedural bias, there's right. selection bias, there's all kinds of biases and stuff. Yes. Like nothing's truly, and what's interesting is like randomized control trials, that's made for like pharmacology, like, like drug trials. Like here's a placebo, here's, here's a drug, a COVID drug or something, right? And like that's what randomized control trials are for. For this, like you can't randomize control trials, like little babies that are having trouble eating or like kids that are having trouble. You, you can probably, like once they're older, you could put it off and do speech. Maybe I will in the future, but mm-hmm. it's really difficult. I asked someone, they said it'd be probably about a million dollars. But one thing we ran into too wow. is just the selection bias with the editors. So I try to get this lip tie paper published because we have data showing that 95% of the time, 94.5% of the time, uh, and, uh, we had 109 patients the gap closed up, the diastema closed after we did the lip tie. And so we went back, found all the patients we could, got, had pictures before op, we had pre-op, we got pictures afterward, like six months later, a year later, the gap closed up almost always. So there's no scar tissue, um, or at least not that impeded the, uh, the diastema closing. So I've been submitting that different article to different journals, so I won't name them, but uh, we get things back like, oh, this is a controversial topic, denied. Like they wouldn't even peer review it. And so just editor bias, which is, is real. But, you know, I guarantee you if I said, oh, this procedure causes scar tissue, this should not be done, it would have been published in the first journal. Because mm. there's a bias against tongue ties or whatever, so against dogma, basically, against like the what's the standard uh, that we teach everywhere. And so if you're combating that at all, they don't want to publish it. Makes sense, yeah. So yeah, I anyway. I thought about it. Yeah. Well, tell me about, um, before we go, you've got, uh, I didn't know that you offered this as well, but besides your book, you've got like an online tongue-tie academy that you're yes. working on now for people that are trying to learn get more about it. it, get into it a little bit more. Tell me about that. Quick. Yeah, yeah. So that's what we did during COVID, basically. Before that, 2019, um, it's hard for me to travel. We have three little kids. We have three girls. And so it's always hard to get to conferences like this, which I love doing. Uh, this is my first one since COVID, but I was like, we need to do something for these people that want to learn how to do tongue ties. They're always asking, like, what's the next course? And like, well, you can go to a conference, but it's, the speakers aren't all getting together saying, let's help the newest person. It's kind of on advanced topics often or kind of random stuff. But that we need to, like an all-in-one, like A to Z course, take someone who's never heard about tongue ties before to like now you're proficient in doing it. So we did that. We did it. It's, uh, we filmed it during COVID. It's 25 hours, but it's broken up into like 10, 20 minute segments. It's, uh, it gets ADA, SERP, like uh, official CE credits for it. 
um, but it's it's really easy. So it's called Tongue Tied Academy, TongueTiedAcademy.com. Okay. And we donate all the proceeds, honestly. It all goes in account. The, that stuff, the book, um, and everything, we donate to charity. But uh, then we have a live course. So once you finish Tongue Tied Academy, we have an advanced live course at our office for four dentists at a time. They'll come in on a Friday, spend all day. They hold the baby. They're feeling the restrictions, watching everything we do. And so confidence boosting experience. But Wow, that's yeah. cool. Man, that's like another level that, I mean, it's nice to have that as a resource because there's, you know, being such a new hot button topic, a new thing, like it's nice to, you know, people that want to learn more about it have a, an access of some place that they can go to. I learn want people to do it, it right, the right way. For sure. And yeah. they're not doing yeah. it for money. Again, like dentistry is more productive. You can see more patients and make more money. But if you've like been doing pediatric dentistry for 20 years or 10 years or like getting tired or you're seeing this all the time, like I know I can help these patients. Mm-hmm. We don't want them to just survive. We want them to thrive. Like, right. We're not going for, oh, they'll be fine. I think, yeah, they'll live with a tongue tie, but like, I don't want speech therapy to be their sport. Right. Um, I want them to be able to play baseball or whatever, or go hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, and not be in therapy all the time. But like, we're going for optimal here. So that's, yeah. that's kind of what we're looking at. But that's, uh, that's what you can do with these patients. I mean, it's really, it's enjoyable. You yeah. do a filling on someone, no one ever said a filling changed their life. I mean, maybe it's a front tooth or something like possibly, but this, like, we have to keep boxes of Kleenex in the, in the rooms because of the happy tears, yeah. honestly. The happy tears, yeah. So the moms cool. get, yeah. That's, yeah. it's, it's in, intangible stuff. That's what's fun about it. Like, no, most of us don't need any more money. Like, whatever, we have plenty, we're dentists. Like, mm-hmm. but, like, this is a, just a whole nother way to uh, provide a service to your patients that it's enjoyable. Um, and yeah, the moms appreciate it. It's really yeah. rewarding. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So. Well, hey, let's, um, let's do this like round two again where we can, <laughs> like, this is a topic that's not going to continue to go away and it's only going to get bigger. Yeah. And, airway, tongue yeah, tie. Yeah. Oh, man. It's like, this is like, seems like the horizon that everybody wants to talk about. So I'm sure we'll get a lot of good feedback on this one. Yeah. But, but thanks for coming and sneaking out a few minutes to chat with me. And uh, I'm a big fan, man. We'll I love again. the podcast. Uh, I appreciate I've it. To most of the episodes. It's I, one of my favorites, honestly. No, I appreciate that. You know, I'm always trying to think of like new topics and new things that branch outside my little you know redneck missouri little box here so bourbon baby teeth's a good chance to yeah do that. So, no cool awesome well thanks for joining me man appreciate it for sure thanks yeah. for having me yep thanks for listening to the bruise and tiny teeth podcast don't forget to submit any questions comments or tough clinical situations to c gets at troy pediatric dentist.com for our next pedo pearls power hour Also, be sure to share our podcast and leave a review. Thanks, and we'll see you again next week for another episode.